Hey, as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Davis. Uh, the city of McAllen has established a. International Relations Department. That's what they call it. And um, I guess that's their, their budget year started October 1. So I guess it'll be in the new budget. And, um, you know, what's up with that? Like we're having our own foreign policy? Uh, well, yeah, we do sort of have our own foreign policy. I think all the cities down here do. And to to head up the new International Relations Department, they have chosen, or the city manager has chosen, a woman named Daniela, I think it's Plata. I had it in front of me, and I, um, yeah, Plata. She's lately been at the airport, and now she's gonna. And here to tell us what's going on, why, why is uh, Macon City Manager uh, Roy Rodriguez. Uh, Roy, thanks for being with us. So tell us where this department came from, where the idea came from, and did you have, did you have problems convincing the the city commissioners and and all that. Hey, uh, Davis. Hey. Uh, first, I'll start with your last question. No, I, I didn't have a lot of trouble uh, convincing the city commission. The truth is that for some years now, our mayor and commission has been deliberately uh, more engaged with our partners, specifically in Mexico. I mean, we understand how important uh, our friends from Mexico are to our economy uh, and their friends and family, and that's, that's, a real, that's a real deal for us. And so before the pandemic, we were making trips to Mexico City, to Monterrey, and other areas uh, promoting McAllen. And then after uh, our new mayor, Javier Villalobos, and this commission really wanted us to engage uh, not only those communities, but others. And so as you know, just last year, we signed sister city agreements with Puerto Vallarta and Apodaca, Mm -hmm. and they want these relationships to be real. You know, it, it, they don't want it to be a day of signing and ceremonies and so on. And so I think that we've really seen that happen. We've had Puerto Vallarta, in fact, was here for the parade. That was re- really cool for us wow. to have them on a float with us. And then last year, uh, Apodaca had a children's choir come to McAllen and, and do a concert and, and the Performing Arts Center. So what happened in those trips is that we found that we kind of, I mean, I hate to say it this way, but we kind of had like a hodgepodge of people putting this together. I uh, had people from the airport, the chamber, the bridge, city manager's office, um, getting these trips lined up and getting the people here and so on, which is going to, we're going to continue to do, but we really wanted a point person yeah. to help guide us uh, with all of these processes. And this is where this came from. This, um, uh, I was going to say, this Plata woman, uh, tell us, uh, the, the press release says she has a Bachelor of Arts in International Relations uh, in Reynosa. 
and then a master's in public affairs from the University of Texas RGV. I, uh, she's a certified diplomatic protocol officer by Mexico's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And I, I would, I'm going to find her and ask her, what do, they, what do they teach you? What do they teach you about protocol? Uh, so she's, I guess, fully bilingual and she has a track. I didn't realize it was a part of the airport management staff that did international international stuff. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we created that a few years ago, uh, probably right at the time of the pandemic that we were really focusing on new sister city agreements. And so she was the first person that took that position at the airport. So she was doing similar work, uh, you know, compared to what she's going to be doing for, for the city as a whole. And, um, and prior to that, she worked for the um, Mexican consulate for, I think, about 10 years. And so she's very well versed on, you know, what you need to establish these relationships. Mm -hmm. She's absolutely bilingual. She speaks perfect Spanish, obviously. And uh, so anyway, I, you know, when I, when I started thinking about this new position, because it's going to be a, a new director, uh, a department head, you know, I thought of her, and I'm very, very lucky and blessed that she was available and was interested in the position. And so we went through the process. We interviewed a few people, and, she, you know, she really was head and shoulders the best candidate. We're very, very blessed to have her. Uh, have you already got tasks set out for her, things you wanted to, to do right off the bat? Yes, I do. Uh, and, in fact, she helped me establish what we needed to do. Um, her first j uh, day, I want to say, is January the 3rd in the new position, uh, but we're already working on things that, that's going to be important for her right off the bat, to, to use your words. Well, number one, you know, we've got some 20 cities that are um, sister cities to McAllen, and I know that in the last 10 years we, we probably have had, you know, two or three meetings with them. And that's not good enough. I mean, we need to make sure that we reestablish those relationships, that we really exchange uh, knowledge of how, you know, they run their cities, how we run ours, um, and, and really uh, cultivate uh, what was started a long time ago. And more especially, more importantly, certainly the new ones that we have established lately. So, yeah, she's going to have her hands full. What um, I've always wondered what the advantage is to having a sister city relationship, not out of a problem with it, but I thought it was by and large a ceremonial thing. Um, but you're implying that there's more to it than just ceremony. And I don't know if do, do in cities in the interior have sister city, sister cities in Mexico. It makes sense for us to, to do that. Yeah. I, well, look, first of all, I think you're right. Um, it is, for the most part, ceremonial, but it shouldn't be for cities on the border. Because, I mean, for McAllen, our economy depends on our Mexican friends and family. They're 35% of our economy. That Good is Lord. a huge, huge number. And so, you know, these sister city agreements that we've just created, for example, in Puerto Vallarta, the mayor of Puerto Vallarta was here, um, both for Mexlan and for our parade. And I would say that every time he mentions McAllen in his, in his home city of Puerto Vallarta, Jalisco, that's marketing for us, and that's mm -hmm. free. 
And so uh, that that's the key. Same thing in Apodaca. Their mayor has a great relationship with our mayor. And any time that they mention McAllen, that's marketing. And that, that brings uh, families here to stay, to shop, to eat, and, uh, and again, ensuring that we don't take for granted that really yeah. a great relationship that we have and the importance of, of them in our economy. Um, one of the... Um one of the things that we're talking with the Macon city manager, longtime city manager, Roy Rodriguez, um, about the new international relations department that cranks up after the first of the year. One of the things I have in my head, and I don't know if it's true or not, it may be just a romantic conception on my part, which is that in dealing with Mexico, personal relationships are, are really paramount. Uh, back when Brownsville was trying to do something with their bridge, they would tell you, People would tell you that you hire you can hire a consultant, but you don't know who who he or she knows. It's the personal relationships which are key to getting things done. Is that true? Absolutely. I mean, for us to be able to have the cell phone number of the director of, of tourism for say Puerto Vallarta, that that's amazing because you know, we've got winter Texans that come here, we've got tourism that the whole valley is trying to increase and if we can pick up the phone and say hey you know i've got a group of folks that that want to come visit you and and they can set it up you know immediately that's a great advantage for us to have and those are the kinds of relationships we want you know the commission was very deliberate in in their discussion is that we want these relationships to be meaningful and uh and that's what you need i mean you need you know, face-to-face meetings, you need to be able to pick up the phone and call somebody and, and get what you need. So uh, I would agree with that 100%. Don't, don't misunderstand this next question, but I, I, I have talked to liquor store dealers at Christmas. This was some time back. And there was one guy at um, then Feldman's who was telling me, I forget what doing this. So people come over and they're there to shop. And I think he said one guy spent $125,000 or maybe it was a quarter of a million, but it was a lot of money on wine and liquor because they were making, they were giving presents. This was a big deal. And this guy got a percentage of it. So he was, he was very attuned to it. Um, is that really how it works? Is that just, is that just. Well, that's part of it. it I mean, I can tell you that during the pandemic, we, we had uh, evidence that, that people were flying in uh, private, planes from Monterrey, for example, mm-hmm. uh, to come and shop here and then renting the car because they had so much stuff that they bought to drive back. <laughs> and so, I mean, th- those are real stories. Uh, and really, the the, the, uh, the buying power of the people in that region is really tremendous. I mean, mm-hmm. and we know it. And so we, we have to make, make sure that we keep those relationships close. Well, I've got a lot more questions, but they'll have to wait. Thank you very much, Roy Rodriguez. He is the longtime city manager of the city of McAllen. You're listening to the 956 Drive Home here on 710KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. 
you're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids. They're running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710-KURB and KURV.com. Here's Davis. And I guess you know, you should know, that what was once Pan American Junior College, then Pan American University, then now it's University of Texas RGV. That's the University of Texas in South Texas. Well, Texas A&M has a has a has a foot in the door too. It's uh, it's at the Trace Lagos development in far north McAllen, up on along Monte Cristo Road, and they call it the Texas A&M University Higher Education Center at McAllen. And the uh, the guy who's been uh, incented to go work there um, is Manny Vela, who's so he. Are you originally from Harlingen or Brownsville? You're a Harlingen person, right? I am, Davis, and good afternoon to you and all the listeners. And let me just start off by wishing everybody a Merry Christmas and Happy Holiday season. But, yes, I was born and raised here in Harlingen. Uh, So why do you think they picked you to be in charge of? Because I'm right, there's a lot of eyes watching this this, uh, higher education center. Oh, I, I, you know, you'd probably have to ask the folks that recruited me to participate uh, on this journey down here in higher education, but I'm, I'm awful glad they did pick me. Uh, I was absolutely motivated by the thought of trying to help create opportunities for the immense talent we de- have down here. And, and the reality is we've not matched the talent with the opportunities from an educational perspective, a higher educational perspective. Uh, and so, uh, uh, back to your question, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I hope it's because they have faith and confidence that I can help them create opportunities, well-deserved opportunities for the residents here in the Lower Rio Grande Valley. What kind of classwork or what topics are being taught there? And how, how would a kid apply to go there and not, not to another school in the AM system? Okay, perfect question. So we have nine programs as we sit here today. I'm going to list them for our audience, for you and our audience. Let's start with agricultural economics. We have biomedical sciences, construction science, human resource development, interdisciplinary engineering, maritime business, math science, middle grade certification, multidisciplinary engineering technology, and public health. Uh, And the reality is you apply to our center just as you would to College Station. It's just simply another opportunity uh, to become a a Texas A&M Aggie, but do so in in our own backyard here in the Lower Rio Grande Valley. What we impress upon our young women and men down here is that by coming onto our campus, uh, you are basically coming on an extension of College Station, Texas A&M. We call it Texas A&M South, by the way. Uh, and, and the reality, Davis, is when, when our students graduate, they have they graduate with the same ring, the same diploma. Uh, they're through and through Aggies. We promote the pillars, the value system associated with Texas A&M. 
Uh, they do have the option of walking either down here for graduation or going up to College Station. Oh, wow. Uh, we try to create opportunities for them to go to College Station as often as possible. But we're also trying to create a phenomenal experience, college experience for them down here. As you can well imagine, the, the, the cost of going to college is, is, is high. Let's just face it. It's ferocious. Uh, by, it is. It's, it's incredibly high. And so by offering this opportunity to students down here who want to become Aggies, as I reference, they get to do it in their own backyard, hopefully to a large degree save some dollars in the process. Uh, the, the admissions criteria is identical. Nobody gets a pass, right? The, the mm -hmm. teachers take great pride. The faculty take great pride down here in, 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 in uh, basically letting folks know that this is a world-class institution, as, as you would expect from Texas A&M, uh, and it is the same curriculum that, that our students would get in college stations. So, uh, you know, our, one of my primary directives and, and goals is to just make sure everybody's aware of the opportunity here in the Rio Grande Valley. And so people will see me out and about doing outreach with the school districts and in other environments and mm -hmm. other um, venues just so that uh, people are become aware of what we offer, just like we're doing today. But also uh, the fact that this is just this is an extension of the station, uh, but down here in the Rio Grande Valley. Well, we're talking with... Uh Manny Vela, who is, um, I think your title is Chief, Chief Operating Officer, um, Vice President, Chief Operating Officer at Texas A&M um, South, right? Is that what you call it? Texas A&M South, the University Higher Education Center at uh, Trace Lagos. Do, do you know how they decide, uh, the people in College Station, what courses to offer? And those have to be approved. They have to be approved, all of them, by the Higher Education Coordinating Board? Yes, they do. It's a great question, and people ask it quite often. In order to expand programs here in the Rio Grande Valley, whether you be uh, Texas A&M, UTRGV, Our Lady of the Lake, any other institutions down here, uh, you have to go through the Higher Education Coordinating Board uh, to uh, get their approval. And, um, and that, that's a process that uh, basically uh, requires you to show that the demand exists and that you can be a, a value add uh, from a higher educational perspective in the Rio Grande Valley. As a matter of fact, we're sitting here today, Davis, waiting to hear back from uh, the coordinating board in regards to a, an application we submitted to create a nursing program, which will be housed there at our campus in Tres Lagos. And so uh, we obviously hope and urge the coordinating board to grant us that approval. You know my background, it's healthcare, and so I know firsthand yeah how extreme uh, the nursing shortage is here, not only in the Rio Grande Valley, but across the entire state and our country. Uh, and so, uh, but that is part of the process, right? So we're waiting on, on their approval uh, so that we can press ahead and make a dent uh, in that particular shortage down here. If, if we don't meet uh, the, the nursing shortage or fill nursing jobs of whatever education level, uh, with American citizens, uh, and this is not a hostile question, where do they come from? I guess the legendary uh, um, Filipino, Filipina nurses who do a good yeah. job from my experience. But uh, when I was yeah. in rehab, the well, charge nurse was from Nigeria. So I guess speaking English is, of course, something that you have to have. But where else do they come from? Yeah. They, they, Where do we get them from Mexico? They, they can. They can come from Mexico. Mexico is a little unique because of NAFTA. So the immigration process is more streamlined and much quicker. 
Otherwise, I've, I've recently been talking to some immigration lawyers out of Austin about this exact issue, and it can take oh. anywhere from a year to 18 months. Uh, for a nurse who's in the queue, re- required a, some form of a sponsor here in our country, but then gets in the queue, Davis, and, and it takes, like I said, a year to 18 months. Now, there's still the uh, the matter mm-hmm. of, of a nurse passing what's called the ECLEX, which is a, a, uh, a clinical proficiency exam, and then you still have uh, the issue of English proficiency, right? So it's all mixed in together, and, and quite honestly, it can be difficult to to bring some nurses in from an international perspective. Now, when I was at Valley Baptist, we had a great contingency of Filipino nurses who fit beautifully in with our culture down here, right? It's plug and yeah. play for multiple reasons. Uh, and there was a visa program that um, that was, was some, for whatever reason, stopped in, I believe, 08 or 09, uh, that created a fast track for, I believe, 500 Filipino nurses on a yearly basis. Uh, but the, crit- the criteria for placement was places like the Rio Grande Valley, underserved, those kind of things. And so I've had recently, I've recently, excuse me, had discussions with Senator Cornyn's office and Congressman Cuellar's office about trying to resurrect that program uh, because the reality is the shortage is extreme and getting more extreme every day. And so, um, so they, they, back, going back to your question, they're, they're, we do have access to international nurses, but there are, there are tests that they need to pass uh, to be able to become licensed here in the United States, the States and provide service. Not always easy, by the way. Tough yeah. not to crack. Uh, and then yeah. you, you couple that with the, the language proficiency requirements. Uh, it, it can be somewhat difficult. Um, and, and by all means, having uh, been in, in an environment where we were providing care and wanted to do so in the, with the highest quality in mind, you, you don't want to lessen or loosen the standards related to uh, a, a nurse's clinical ability to be able to practice nursing in our state or around the country. So I don't think that's the key. I think the key would be to somehow determine whether or not we could streamline from an immigration perspective yeah. the process so that it doesn't take a year to 18 months. Um, and this is the other reality. It's our shortage is becoming more extreme because our nurses work so terribly hard. All our allied health professions, Davis, by the way, yeah. we're short all across the board, right? But our nurses were, we're just talking nursing right now, but they work so very hard during COVID. A lot of them got burned out, right? They got burned out. Oh, yeah. they're, they're retiring early and I can't blame them. I, 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 I wasn't on the front line. I was providing support for our frontline folks. Uh, and I can see very easily how somebody might might have been yeah. uh, might might have gotten burned out during that process. Right, COVID was extreme, uh, and then couple that with being short, people are being asked to to run extra shifts all the time, even today, because our, our hospitals can't shut down. Davis, where, where will our folks go? Right, so our hospitals are doing a great job down here. Our our allied health professionals, let me tell you, I give them kudos every day, all day long. I, you know, I pray for them. Uh, they, they are an amazing group of folks who continue to serve our communities down yeah. here. So anything we can do to work with folks in office in Washington or Austin, we need to be doing so so that we can help hopefully lighten their load at some point in time. I think praying for a miracle is probably your best opportunity, but I got I got to bounce because they're yelling at me in my uh, to stop, stop. We got to stop. It's time. But uh, obviously, we were uh, we were enjoying ourselves. And good luck to you at the Texas A&M University of Higher Education Center, Manny Vela. Thank you very much. You're listening to an encore presentation of the nine five six Drive Home on News Talk seven ten KURV and KURV.com.
I love your show. Hello. Hello. Having our voices heard. That's right. Yeah. You live and you learn. Exactly right. This is our country. Use your heads on this stuff. Bingo. Sick of the talking heads. I agree with you. Talk, 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 talk. Hello. Hello. Yes, I'm here. I'm just listening. Yes. No. Yeah. No. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Everyone is so smart. They are so dumb. Who is she to judge? Stand up to do something. Thank you. The Valley's only News Talk station, News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Davis. We have caught our, uh, our guest. And let me read a little bit from... Uh, from what we're going to talk about, uh, the Texas Politics Project, I'll let him explain what this is, but they do polling now and again. We've talked about the difficulties of polling in this modern age. And um, he said, we just posted results from the, the last poll of 2023, their sixth statewide poll of the year, the 59th poll in the series we started in 2008. So he's building up some good data. With the Texas Politics Project. Uh, well, I'll let I'll let uh, Mr. Henson tell us. Um, Jim Henson, tell us what the deal is. This is your is the Texas Politics Project your brainchild? Oh, you know, uh, I think I've done a lot of the lifting with it. I mean, I we kind of came up with it back in the early two thousand. Myself and a couple other colleagues who were. Just trying to provide more information about Texas government and politics, you know, particularly at a place like UT. There's a, a lot going on in national and international politics and, and not so much in state politics. And that was kind of the core idea when we started. <laughs> I think there's a lot going on in state politics. I just I just don't know where to find the find the news. There's always um there's always somebody up to knuckleheaded stuff. So uh, the takeaway from the poll is that people are, am I, am I overstating it, saying they're kind of crabby, they're not happy, they're not happy with the legislature? Yeah, I, look, I mean, I, I, you, know, I, you know, as we've talked about these polls over the last couple of years, in some senses, this is not news. Um, yeah. you, know, we, you know, we've seen people with saying the state's on the wrong, you know, about half of Texans saying the state is on the wrong track. Um, being very sort of negative about most institutions, Mm -hmm. you know, that that used to have a lot more regard and respect. I think if there's anything that was, you know, we noticed really specifically in this poll and and we were interested in, that's a little more, you know, maybe a little more unexpected is that on one hand, we found really high levels of support for what the the legislature said they were going to do and the things that were announced on the agenda, you know, from, you know, reducing property taxes, uh, giving teachers raises, uh, trying to ensure, you know, the people had a little more faith and reliability in the electric grid. Uh, Um, So there's a lot of consensus on the agenda. Yeah. You know, a lot of consensus on the agenda but when we ask people, you know, do you have confidence that the legislature has accomplished these things, you know, less than a third of voters would yeah. say that they had, you know, either, you know, that they were extremely or had or very confident 
that the legislature had, you know, reduced property taxes enough to make a difference, that they'd improved the safety of Texas public schools, that they had improved security among the border, that they had increased the reliability of the grid or the water supply. So, you know, there's a, there's a gap, I think, between, you know, what the legislature is reading that people want, but people, but, but Texas voters faith that they have delivered. Yeah, uh, we're talking with uh, Dr. James Henson of the uh, UT uh, Texas Politics Project. Um, do you do you teach classes, or you just do polling and read polls and stuff like that? Um, you know, I I have a summer class that you know I help design that I do a bit with, and during the year oh. I run a program that is essentially the undergraduate government internship program. Okay. There's a, a coursework and research project that the students do while they're conducting their internships. And then I kind of oversee, you know, making sure people find the internships that fit and things like that. Maybe we can come back to that. Uh, you, you have posted this. Let's see. Uh, here's something that I thought was remarkable. There are not large differences in the expectations of party people. In other words, Republicans and Democrats have about the same view of things because uh, you break it out by, by party identification. Let me see here. This is the one that start. just, I, I don't, I don't get it. Reduced property taxes. The legislature reduced cop. Oh, the legislature reduced property taxes enough to make a difference to most Texans. 35% of Republicans said yes. 24% of Democrats said yes. And who's the independent said 18% said yes. They're still not happy. What's the deal? I mean, seriously, well, I mean, what's look, the deal? I, mean, I, I think one thing to be, to be, to be fair to both sides, we'll try to be fair to the legislature uh, and to the grumpy voters. You know, people have not seen the results of the property tax reduction yeah, yet. That's true. And, you know, I, I, I expect that these numbers will go up. And I think that's what the, you know, the architects of this legislation in, in the legislature are betting, you know, and, and why yeah. they did make this property tax break, you know, substantially larger than the ones that they've given in, in recent years in dollar terms. And, and yeah. of course, they got lucky. I mean, the real estate market in a lot of the state is cooling. And so, you know, we may see some cooling off in appraisals, and that will also help. And you know, if property yeah. tax bills go down in part because of the tax hike and in part beca- because of the, the reduction in appraisals and in part because of the reduction in property taxes that the legislature engineered, well, you know, nobody's going to hesitate to take credit for the whole cut. When it comes to border security, of course, the governor yesterday signed a very controversial law, which I, I predict is uh, clairvoyant will, will eventually be thrown out. Um, because it'll be seen as intruding on the federal government's sole powers to deal with immigration. Uh, and I, 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 Republican voters or people, they're, they're, I don't know what's going to make them happy. And I say that not jokingly. Improved, let's see, are you extremely or very confident that the Texas legislature accomplished improved security along the Texas-Mexico border? 32% of Republicans said yes, 21% of Democrats said yes, 16% of independents said yes. So the independents are 
more skeptical. Um, I wonder what they I always don't know what they base this on. If they base it on news accounts, maybe, but uh, I, you never well, hear you know, of, like, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, I, you know, I think it's, you know, we, we always, you know, and I think we've talked about independence a little before. And it's worth remembering that the way that we break independence down, these are what we call true independence. That is, when we ask people on the poll, you know, you consider yourself a Democrat or Republican yeah. or, or neither. When people say neither, we prompt them a little bit. We say, well, do you, you know, do you mean, do you lean one way or the other? Well, it turns out that the leaners are actually a little more ideological on both sides than are yeah. the weak partisans. So the point being, those independents are, you know, that you're talking about, you know, 10 to 12% of the, the voting population. And one of the things about independents is that, you know, they don't pay a lot of attention to politics. So... The things, I think you're right, the things that they're hearing are probably largely, and this is not every single independent, but generally, they are hearing things in the news, and, you know, they probably don't have a lot of engaged knowledge about these issues. They have, you know, yeah. they have opinions about them, but they're, you know, they're not, they tend to not be political people. People that are political tend to be more partisan. I always wondered what it was like hundred years ago or 75 years ago, if people were better informed um, and could reach better decisions as a consequence of being informed. So much of the legislature, what the legislature does, so much of it's, um, you know, the blow by blow, who did what to whom, who's, who's, who's conspiring to do this rather than focusing on the results. Cause the results tend to be kind of dull compared to who stabbed who in the back. No, I think that's right. And, 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 you know, t again, to be fair to people, it's a very crowded political environment out there right now. And most of the, the news that people are paying attention to right now, and that is, you know, leading newscast tends to be national. And so, you know, when we ask people, how closely are you following the legislature, you know, all year, Pretty steadily, we only had about ten percent saying that they were following the legislature extremely closely. The um, um, the lieutenant governor uh, Dan Patrick has a hammerlock. Seems to be at least on the Republican part of the uh, of the Senate, and gets done. I guess almost all of that he wants done, and he rages about what doesn't get done. The House is a different different animal, but. It surprised, I guess it surprised me that um, given the success of his agenda this last time, that more more Republicans aren't happy. I assume those Republicans are by and large supporting him. I don't know who else they're going to support for lieutenant governor. Um, and I guess I'm yeah, wrong, his job so. approval ratings are still are still very high, but I think that. You know, one of the things that we've seen, it's really been one of the the trademarks of this year in Texas politics and this year in the Texas legislature has been the, you know, the, the depth and the intensity of the hostility between different factions of the, of yeah. the Republican Party. And Lieutenant Governor is a big part of that, um, you know, in terms of his... Yeah. 
you know, his deep, language, you know, his, you know, the steeply hostile relationship with the Speaker of the House. And I think, you know, that, you know, that, uh, that, that has a way of dampening partisan enthusiasm when your own partisans are at each other's throats yeah. in a, in a very public way. And of course, you know, as you say, the legislature's known for, for infighting and backstabbing to use your term. And I don't disagree with that. And I think some of that really just reached not only a new height in the extent of it this year, but also, um, you know, the, the public nature of that. Yeah. I, I, um, what, what do you think? How do you analyze, not what you like, how do you analyze the publicness of, um, Lieutenant Governor's unhappiness? I mean, he says some horrible, I mean, whether you like him or not, it's irrelevant. He said some really bad, horrible things, um, that you just don't say, you don't say them in politics and you don't say them <laughs> over drinks at the country club. Or, well, or of course, then, you know, later on, I mean, I did at his press conference at the conclusion of the last special session. He also assured the, pre the gathered press corps and the public that this wasn't personal. Um, <laughs> which people literally laughed at at the press conference. Um, but look, I mean, I, I think, you know, from an analytical point of view, I think, you know, the key to understanding this is the degree to which most of these statewide Republican yeah. officials and most of the legislators are not worried about the general elections. Yeah. You know, I mean, the Democrats have gotten slowly a bit more competitive, but not enough to really affect the behavior of Republicans. And so, you know, that's the analytical point that then opens up a lot of things that, you know, I, I can't tell you about. I can't Dr. tell Hint. you what goes through either Lieutenant Governor Patrick or Speaker Phelan's head or any um, of these legislatures heads when they get on Twitter or have press conferences and get deeply hostile yeah. and deeply personal in a very public way. I think that, but I do think that that yep. is conditioned by their lack of worry about what's going to happen in a general election. They can say anybody about anything about anybody and <laughs> still feel Dr. pretty secure that they're going to, they're going to get reelected. Dr. Henson, uh, I got to be abrupt and say thank you very much for your time. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, uh, and all that stuff. We really appreciate your insights. Uh, you're listening to the 956 Drive Home here on 710KORV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURV. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Davis. You're listening to the 956 Drive Home here on 710 KURV. I'm Davis Rankin. And the big news, the big news, if it's not um, immigration, is what the Colorado Supreme Court has done. They have declared that uh, Donald Trump, the presumptive Republican nominee for president next year, he is ahead in all the polls, um, is ineligible 
to run for the White House under the U.S. Constitution's insurrection clause, and they have removed him from Colorado's presidential primary ballot. And uh, the decision from a court who's just, uh, they're all Democrat appointees, marks the first time in history that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment has been used to disqualify a presidential candidate. Uh, Josh Blackman teaches constitutional law at South Texas School of Law in Houston. And this is right up your alley, is it not, Professor? Happy to be here. Thank you so much. So when you got the news, what did you think? Those guys are nuts or they nailed it? Well, uh, for full disclosure, I filed a brief in this case in support of President Trump. Um, and the dissent cited my article, so that was sort of nice. Uh, but the majority opinion, which was a four to three court, uh, ruled that President Trump engaged in insurrection and that the state courts have the power to order and remove from the ballot. Uh, this is the first court anywhere in the country that tried to take Trump off the ballot. And it was frankly surprising. E even though I had been working on the case for some time, I still didn't think it would happen. I thought at least most courts would have the common sense and not go down this road. Do you think that uh, the the president that day uh, called for, hinted at, uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, um, in, in, um, called for insurrection, promoted insurrection, urged insurrection, however, wh whatever verb you want to put there? Well, you know, the key word is engage, right? And engage means to actually do something. What the court held here was that Trump maybe didn't actually go to the Capitol, didn't, you know, storm down the buildings, but he aided, he encouraged the rioters. And this was enough to uh, 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 trigger the disqualification. I think this, this ruling was an error. Uh, even if Trump gave a speech, I think the speech was protected by the First Amendment, like most politicians' speeches are. And I think it's a mistake to try to um, use this old provision of the Constitution with a lot of uncertainty to knock Trump off the ballot. Is speech alone sufficient to meet the constitutional requirement of insurrection? Well, there's a couple of concepts here that are worth sort of unpacking, right? One of them mm -hmm. is what does it mean to incite violence? And to incite violence, you must give a speech that results in imminent unlawful activity. Um, I don't think that the speech at the ellipse on January 6th was enough to cause or trigger incitement. Uh, he was several miles from the Capitol. He said some things like go fight. He also said things like go peacefully. So I think it doesn't quite meet the level of incitement. But even if it did, incitement is not enough to engage in insurrection. You need something actually more than that. So if he were to, well, I'll, I'll, I'll stall on the um, what, what about the what ifs. Why, why do you, no, I'm assuming you can be charitable. Why do you think some pretty eminent uh, names in law have looked at it different and said, yeah, he incited well, and he this can be knocked off the ballot? You know, some, some of these people are actually friends of mine, so I, I know their positions well. Um, I think they take the sort of wrong starting point. They argue that Section 3 clearly allows the courts to knock them off. I think there are a lot of really close, difficult legal questions. For example, who is responsible for doing this, the state courts or the federal courts? Does Congress have to create what's called a cause of action, basically a way to go to court and seek someone to get knocked off the ballot? Mm -hmm. uh, does this apply to the presidency? The text doesn't clearly explain that. So there are a lot of, 
I think, really difficult textual questions and legal questions that aren't so quickly dismissed. So I think even if this is a close call, you have to err on the side letting the voters choose. Even if, uh, is I, since elections, the running of elections and all that stuff is left to the state, um, and obviously I'm no, I'm no lawyer, but uh, does the federal government have the right to tell, in this case, to tell like Colorado Supreme Court, tell Colorado, you can't put him on the ballot. He's a traitor. You can't do that. Supreme Court, to them or Texas the or anybody else. I think it's actually the opposite. It's true that elections are run by the states, but Section 3 in particular uh, should be enforced by the federal government. It's enforced by Congress. So, so the states may have a lot of authority over the ballot in other regards, but not with regards to insurrection. What if he had said, um, what if the president had said, okay, I want you to go down there and kick their ass. Pardon my French. Um, mm -hmm. Is that an incitement to violence? That would come closer. Um, and, but even if he said, I want you to kick their ass, that might be an incitement to violence, but still fall short of engaging insurrection. In other words, you can incite violence. Lots of people do that all the time. Or people, you know, create riots, but a riot doesn't necessarily translate to an insurrection. So there are a lot of difficult legal questions involved there. What is an insurrection? <laughs> That's sort of the heart of it. A in, term in, that in not, yeah. Yeah, no, I know. It's a term that's not defined easily, and I'm not trying to dodge your question. Um, often, the line between an insurrection and a riot is a matter of perspective. Uh, those who criticize say, say that they're trying to subvert the government, and those who participate say they're trying to use lawful means to express their opinions. Right? There are lots of riots. There are lots of chaos in the streets. We had a lot the last couple of years. Whether something rises to levels of insurrection, I think, is actually difficult. Uh, but what's important to you here as a data point is that no one has actually charged anyone with insurrection, not the Proud Boys, not the Oath Keepers, no one. So, really? so this is a case where even the federal government hasn't indicted anyone for insurrection. I think that's, uh, you know, we should perhaps follow that lead. Well, if the federal government didn't charge all those people they had pictures of and they've spent how long investigating with insurrection, how can they charge the president? No one well, has charged, so. that's exactly right. Trump has not been charged with insurrection. All that's happened all that's happened is you had a trial judge in Denver say that Trump engaged in insurrection. That's been enough. When the uh, uh, Colorado Supreme Court said what it said, and they, you said they cited you, you, I didn't realize you'd submitted a, a brief on behalf of, I guess, the Trump people or who, who was the defendant? Mm -hmm. I never thought about that. Was it the Trump campaign well, actually, or Mr. Trump, Trump or what? Trump was not the defendant. What happened is these, a group of voters brought a lawsuit against the Secretary of State saying you cannot list Trump on the ballot. Okay. So it was this weird thing where you actually had the Secretary of State say, well, I'll do whatever the courts tell me. He doesn't want to put Trump on the, she doesn't want to put Trump on the ballot. So she just followed along whatever the court said. What do you think the U.S. Supreme Court's going to do? And they say, if... If they follow your reasoning, then they'll overturn the Florida or the Colorado Supreme Court, and it'll be said that all those right-wing judges that the Republicans have worked so hard to put on the bench have twisted and raped the law to put their man into the White House or something similar. You know, there's really no winning for the Supreme Court here at all. I think this will be a reversal. It might even be six three seven two. Might even be unanimous. 
Uh, but even then, people will say this is the right-wing court acting. You know, if it's a 9-0 decision, I don't think you can say that. But I think unanimity would serve an important purpose here. Do you see it being unanimous? You you would know the well, you know, I, some I think, level I think of the thinking. A way to do it. I think there's a way to do it. Uh, maybe you get hired for that, and we can talk to you while you while you're engaged. Uh, Josh Blackman, oh, did I miss anything? I think you got it all. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Josh Blackman of the South Texas School of Law. And you're listening to the 956 Drive Home here on 710KORV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.